Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. We're looking at, we're in this series of stewardship God gives. And when God gives us, when God's given us so many wonderful things, the most important thing that God has given to people is His Son and through His Son's salvation. So when He gives and through His giving, we are to steward our lives well. And our lives encompass a lot, right? It encompasses a lot. And the stewardship of one's life and influence is primary to God's economy. How we steward our life is primary to God's economy. The theological concept of stewardship begins with God's divine grace and with his initiatives of a love that seeks out sinful man. Mankind's response to God's gracious activity of divine love should be to give all because of having received so much. A man by the name of Eric Rust once wrote, A man who takes this Christian discipleship lightly is not likely to be a good steward. Talking about giving back this tithing that we're called to give. And we all need to be good stewards of God's grace. And one aspect of God's grace is His granting us financial stability. But even in that, our tithe is supposed to be given off the top at the beginning. Today we'll dive into Malachi 3, 6-12, through 12, which I've entitled Stewardship, God Gives, We Tithe. So if you have your Bibles, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So you could turn there. If you find Matthew, just flip back a couple of pages and you'll find yourselves there. I've got one pastor I like to listen to. I, I don't have a whole lot of jokes in the sermon today, but... Uh, he says, uh, he jokes around about how to pronounce this. He says, this is the only Italian prophet, Malachi. In, uh, but uh, really, it's Malachi. So Malachi chapter 3, uh, beginning there in verse 6. And it says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So we find ourselves there and we're looking at uh, Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. And when we contemplate this text, the whole, the whole text of Malachi is, is taken from the fact that Israel asks a lot of questions. A lot of questions that they really already knew the answers to. But God calls on them in their ignorance because they're saying, you know what, we, we act like we don't know what we're supposed to be doing here. God says, I've given you these statutes long ago, but you have removed yourself from me. So God, he calls out to them, and he tells them that for you to return to me, this is what you need to do. You've got to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. 
We're going to get to that in just a moment, more in depth. But to begin with, we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. We're going to talk about the Lord. We're going to talk about who He is, the, the God of Israel, God the Father, the one that in the Old Testament they knew of. They, they knew not yet of the Son of God, really in fullness. But they knew the God of the Old Testament, and they knew His statutes. They were very clear. He had passed them out many years before. He had expectations for His people, and they were to meet those. And the meeting of those had tangible outcomes. It wasn't just like just this lofty throw it out there somewhere and something's going to happen with it. There was purpose and reasoning behind it. Much the reason why we have a budget, why we have committees, why we have ideals, and why I ask you when you come together, that's the reason why we have committees formed and then budgets formed and then budgets approved and then ministry that occurs. Because without a committee to know how to spend the monies that are designated to your accounts, then there's no, there's no way to funnel it. It just happens to go somewhere. And that's not healthy in a church. It's not healthy, and that's not what God wants here. God wants us to be good stewards of everything that comes into his house, whether it be his people, or whether it be the resources of his people, the time of his people. God wants those things stewarded well. But I want you to understand this. God gives, and God doesn't change. God gives and God doesn't change. In verses 6 and 7, the Lord says, I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. I will pause right there for just a minute. I'll finish out verse 7 in just a second. Listen, the Lord doesn't change. and that's, He makes that definitively clear there in verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. And his requests are never destroyed, only fulfilled. You know, Jesus even said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. So God's laws are never destroyed, but they may be fulfilled. And grace may be applied as well within that. So when we consider this topic of stewardship, we know that stewardship goes from a point of origin to a point of foundation. Origin is the tithe and foundation is the grace to give it. Here's a big word to consider that God makes mention of himself. It's immutability. This is the attribute of changelessness that ultimately preserves the nation from destruction. God keeps his promises to the patriarchs, and that is why they are yet to be destroyed because of their disobedience. He says, I am a good God. I am a gracious God. And because of that, I have not destroyed you yet. Because I keep my promises to my people. He says, I'm a faithful God. That's the only reason why he has not destroyed them yet, because they have done everything. You know, several years ago, I preached out of Haggai. And out of Haggai, you know, he says, now you've gone and you've built your paneled houses while the temple of the Lord lays in ruins. What are you doing? Come back and finish the house of the Lord. And so he is a faithful God. He is consistent in what he desires. God keeps his promises to the patriarchs, and that's why they're not destroyed. He said, and, and see, this is the thing. God wants relationship. God wants relationship to be healthy between his children and himself. I heard one pastor put it this way. When you look at this passage of Scripture, we see what God talks about in resources. But our resources are managed through our relationship. And when we have a right relationship with God, our resources are going to be rightly divided as they need to be. Our first fruits come off the top 
to the Father, to the church, brought it to the storehouse. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But that's further on into the text. But he is a God that does not change. And thankfully, praise God, he doesn't change. Because if he saw me, if he saw you, and he saw our behavior and he changed, well, we'd be in a lot of trouble. We'd be in a lot of trouble. But God says, I have loved you with a love that you can't comprehend. And because of that, I don't change. And because of that, I'm not going to show the wrath and the discipline that you truly deserve because you have left me. So God is saying, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what, shall, what way shall we return? And we're going to answer that question in just a moment. We must understand that God is not the one who is moved from his promise, but it was Israel in this context. And ultimately today, we too are the ones moving from him and not him from us. So God calls for us to return to him because he wants us, to, he wants us close to him just as he wanted Israel close to him. God wants us to be close to him. He promises to return if Israel or you and I will return. But the question is, how are we to return? How are we to return to this right relationship with God the Father? We return by obedience out of love, which contains the tithe and the offering. When God gives, God expects return. We see that in verses 8 and 9. Look there in verses 8 and 9. It says, will a, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So when God gives, God expects return. He wants us to return to him. He wants us to return relationally, and he wants us to return resourcefully. He wants us to bring our whole selves. He wants us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And many of you have heard this, and I've, I think I maybe even said it before. If you, if you look at someone's debit account or their credit card line, you'll find out what they worship. You'll find out real quick what they worship. A couple of things about the tithe that I would like to point out. Barna did a research, a Barna research group, and this is some of the things that they found out uh, in their research. It says two in five practicing Christians give at least 10% of their annual income as a tithe. When it comes to generosity within the local church, just 21% of Christians set their church giving at 10% or more of their income. Just 21%. Typically, their giving varies. 37% varies, while one quarter, 25%, doesn't give to their church at all. Practicing Christians are much more likely to set their giving to at least the customary 10% tithe, though that means the majority of practicing Christians is still giving in lower or less predictable amounts. It's not just that the tithe isn't always intentionally set aside. The tithe is also not well understood by U.S. adults or even Christians in particular. And we might, we might assume it's not well taught through churches. And considering this is the first time I've really taught on the tithe in two and a half years of being here, most of you have been in church a majority of your life. I'm sure you've heard sermons on tithing before. So you understand it. But some have not. Not everybody in here has been in church their whole life, so they may not understand tithing. So it says 43% of Christians say they know what the term tithe means. When U.S. adults are asked if they are familiar with the term, with the term tithe, about two in five, that's 39%, 
indicate that they are familiar and are able to provide a definition. The same percentage, 39%, however, indicates they are unfamiliar with the term. In one-fifth, 22% say they are familiar with the word but cannot recall its meaning. Surprisingly, among Christians, 43%, and even specifically among church givers, 44%, less than half can decisively say what the tithe is. Practicing Christians have much stronger awareness of the tithe. 59% know what it means. 18% are familiar. Though just over one in five of these faithful attendees, 22%, does not recognize the term. Compared with their congregation, nearly all pastors, 99%, are familiar with the concept of tithing and its meaning. It's striking that this overwhelming majority of church leaders is not imparting their knowledge of tithe to those in the pews. Could it be because pastors have not reached a consensus on the specifics or expectations of church giving? And though pastors don't often regard giving that occurs outside the church as a tithe, they tend to say that a church tithe needs not to be exclusively financial. When asked how much their congregation should be giving to the tithe, one in three pastors, that's 33%, if you do the math, favors the traditional 10% tithe, but one in five feels congregants should give enough to be considered sacrificial, which they conclude to be 21%, or as much as they are willing, 20%. So when we think about the tithe, it seems like there's a lot of ignorance when it comes to it. I believe the tithe should be right off the top. First thing, 10%. You give back to your church. Tenth means a tenth. So what is the tithe? We return with the tithe. When God gives, God expects return. The term for tithe, ma'aser, meaning tenth part, Moses had instructed Israel that a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Also, the entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. We find that in Leviticus 27, 32. After Israel settled in the land, they were to bring the tithe annually to the sanctuary and consume a portion of it, leaving the remainder with the Levites, who were to share a tithe with the priest. And we can find reference to that in Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 12, and Deuteronomy 14. Tithing, which is being fiscally responsible for God, is introduced by this blunt question, will a man rob God? Stealing means not only taking what is not yours, but keeping back for yourself what belongs to someone else. That's what robbing means, stealing means. In this case, one-tenth of a person's income was due God, and failure to pay that debt amounted to robbery. And we can see how that was seen through the lives of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. A.R. Fagan, he wrote in his book, It's an easy matter for a person to drift into expressing disapproval of a particular budget of a church, agency, or institution by withholding my tithe until they get that straight. You ever heard somebody say that? I have. Oh, I definitely have. But that is completely foreign to the spirit and teachings of the Bible. The tithe isn't yours or mine to opt its use, what Fagan goes on to say. It belongs to the Lord, and he takes peculiar possession of it and directs its use. All giving is to be a willing love response. Disapproval has other means of expression. 
You know, when people say, I'm not giving, and listen, I've, I've seen this. I don't know if I've seen this here because I, I don't really mess around with, with, the, with the money aspects of it very much at all. But I've heard people say, I'm not giving because I don't agree with that. Well, what is it you don't agree with? Let's talk to the leadership of the church. What is it that we don't agree with? Okay? Don't withhold your tithe because other ministries then become damaged or unable to function as they should because your tithe, everybody's tithe is, is dispersed in the different areas of the church. Pay the light bill, make sure a sound system works right, you know, um, you know uh, staff, power, lights, insurance. There's all kinds of things that this stuff goes to. All right? Ministries, food closet, whatever it may be, youth ministry, children's ministry, that's where your tithe goes. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I've got a lot written on this. You see, in the Old Testament, people gave their first fruits. I've already referenced Numbers 18, uh, verse 21 through 29, and chapter 27, verse 30. In addition, there were other tithes and offerings to pay for festivals that the people in the Old Testament had to pay for. And 3.3% was given to help the poor. And crop gleanings and other offerings were expected also. And this would equal to a minimum of 25% of their income. Now in the New Testament, financial giving among God's people focuses on grace and generosity in the heart. Mark Driscoll wrote in his book, Doctrine, it cannot be overstated that when we give to God, we are not deciding how much of our wealth to give Rather, we are determining how much of God's wealth we are keeping for our own uses. So we need to keep that in mind. I believe every born-again believer should be tithing for the glory of God, for the grace he has shown. From this grace shown, we return by showing that Jesus is our treasure. Our happiness isn't in more stuff. We, we return by showing that we enjoy giving more than receiving. Our maturing as a disciple leads to our financial giving to our church and ministries. And in our return, are storing up treasures in heaven by the giving of our tithe. I fully believe that. Tithing, Fagan goes on to write, tithing, properly observed, ought to first of all benefit the steward, each one of us individually, as he or she recognizes and expresses a right relationship to God and is motivated by grace. Bear in mind that God doesn't need our money except as he has chosen to include us in his plans. But I want to tell you this, church. You can't set a budget. You can't plan for the future. You can't see things come about if people don't tithe. You can't. You can't expect to be able to uh, keep staff. You can't expect to meet uh, light bills, power bills, water bills, gas bills if there's not a budget to say, you know, we had to do a brownout this past year. And I'm not saying people aren't tithing. Don't hear me say that because I don't know. I'm not looking into all that kind of stuff. I've already said I don't, I don't want to, that's not where I need to be. But I'm just telling you this, church. We've, we've got to make sure that we are taking care of the first things that God's called us to take care of. That's the tithe. He's, how are we going to restore this relationship with God? We return first. We return because we're robbing God. We return by giving back to him. We return with the offering. You notice he says there, Will a man rob God, yet you've robbed me? In what ways have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. Now the offering was to be a portion above the tithe. 
The tithe was the whole, then beyond that came the offerings. We have something similar in our own language today in the church. We have tithes and offerings, which hold an idea of the tithe being our 10% of our income, while the offering could be Lottie Moon, it could be Annie Armstrong, it could be Myers Mallory, it could be the children's ministry, the youth ministry, it could be any designated account. It could be an offering. And hey, listen, praise God for people who are willing to give an offering, but don't get confused. An offering or a designated giving is not your tithe. That's not it. And I don't know if, there's, if this mindset is here. I've seen it before. But that's not how that works. We give our tithe so that that can meet the budget requirements that we have. And every church has a budget requirement. This isn't something that's just, we're just doing this here because we need money. No, no. Everybody has to do a budget. Or else you don't know from month to month. I mean, you could be walking on pins and needles. I don't know if we're going to do it. Well, if you got a budget. And sometimes, listen, guys, you know, we're, we, we've postponed doing things, buying things because of, you know, managing our budget. We've got to manage that budget well. Um, Robert Alden wrote in his commentary, any private charity or gifts to Christian friends or institutions should be additional to the basic 10% demanded by God. And we know that Scripture encourages generosity. We, we know Scripture encourages generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, uh, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. So sow bountifully, not sparingly. Let us give out of the generosity of our heart. Now listen, I know we've got a lot of people who are very generous. Very generous. Very, man, we have a need in the church. We, we reach out. Julie reaches out. I've reached out. And, buddy, we've helped a lot of people within this church and outside this church. Because we have a good church that gives, okay? But in this series of stewardship, i got to preach on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> i got to preach on this. Last week, we talked about our response in that. This week, we're talking about uh, stewardship God gives, we tithe. Next week, we're going to talk about we submit. But we're going we're gonna to keep walking through this idea of stewardship. There is an offering that can be given and should be given. We should be people who are generally offering more than expected. I mean, you think about this for just a moment. And, and this, as I was studying this week, I thought about this. And the fact that it said 21% or uh, it was like 25%, whatever that statistic was, uh, was what the Old Testament people gave. And I think about when we go out to eat. I always try to give a 20% tip. And you may say, what? Yeah. Sometimes I might give a little more if the service is just really like top-notch, like way beyond I've ever imagined. But rarely ever do I get down to that 15 or 10%. And if I think God, and if I think God in His grace has served me well, what is 10% of my income? What is 10% of my income? that I should not give back to him. When a little waiter or waitress, whatever, comes out to the table and I decide to give them 20% of my bill back to them. I mean, that's a pretty big little chunk, especially if you eat at a nice restaurant. So it's up for us to contemplate. You know, how much in grace do we appreciate God's service that he has shown unto us, his graciousness to us? <clears throat> 
Because this is the deal. He says, you return. How do you return to me? And God wants the right relationship. Like I said, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You know, he don't really have to have our money or our resources. But he wants a right relationship. And because he's called on the tithe, then we should give the tithe. And it keeps us in a right relationship with him. Or we return with a curse. In what ways have we robbed you at the latter part of verse 8 in tithes and offerings? Verse 9, you are cursed with the curse for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So we return with the tithe, we return with the offering, or we will return with the curse. The curse was a failure in their crops and the suffering that followed. Judah, the nation, was robbing God and they were doing so even though the Levites had been chastised. If you go back in chapter 2, verse 2, uh, Malachi it says, uh, And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. We have got to take this message to heart. How do we return to God? We return with the tithes and the offerings. God has told them in 2.2, he had told them that, that the curse will come. These curses had begun because of the warnings that were given. And some of these warnings were even given long before Malachi 2.2. They were given 2,000 years prior to. This language in the original is basically saying, by the curse, you are being cursed. So God is saying that you knew the curse of leaving and taking your tithe away. And in that knowledge... You had been cursed by that statute that was given thousands of years prior. God was warning them from the issue they were already experiencing. You and I sometimes need to realize this as well. God sometimes warns from the experience of the curse while in the curse. Sometimes in the midst of the hardship, he says, this is the reason why you've got the hardship. We don't like to be there. Nobody likes to be there. But for some odd reason, we like to get there. We just don't like to be in there, right? That's the lure of sin. I'm sure when, 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 when the priests here and the people of Judah here were, were little bit by little bit not tithing and not offering as they should, you know, and if you go back and you look, they, you find out that they were offering lame animals and all this kind of stuff. I, I love the book of Malachi. I preached it before. I called it Dumb Questions. That's what I titled it, Dumb Questions. How have we robbed you? What a dumb question. They knew how they had robbed God. But we, we, we see that they already had these issues. They were bringing in lame, three-legged sheep, lame sheep. They're bringing in blind sheep. They're bringing in all these sacrifices and these offerings that, you know, when we offer to the Lord, we offer our best to the Lord, not the last. That's the reason why it's called first fruits that we give, not last fruits or remainders or leftovers. We give in first fruits, the tithe, one-tenth off the top. And God says, if you'll trust me in the beginning, you don't have to worry about the ending. If you'll trust me at the beginning, you don't have to worry about the ending. Doesn't mean sometimes it don't get tight. I mean, you, you read this morning, if you were in Sunday school, about the ark. You're hearing about, uh, excuse me, about the remaking of, of, the, of, uh, of, the, of the world and everything. And when Noah stepped off, what was the first thing he did? He, offered a, he gave an offering to the Lord. And if he was at a scarcity mindset, 
where he said, you know what, I, I just don't know if I could trust the Lord. Maybe I need to keep these animals that were sacrificed, and you know what I'll do? I'll breed them together, and then I'll offer a worship. No, 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 no. God says, when you get off that ark, you worship me. You give right off the bat. You worship me right off the bat. Don't you try to hoard up for yourself. Do for me, and I'll do for you. You return to me, and I'll return to you. Don't live in a scarcity mindset. And listen, we've all been there. Listen, most of us, I can't speak for all of you, but I can speak for me. For most of my life has been a paycheck to paycheck thing. It's just paycheck to paycheck. Sometimes it's a couple of paychecks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you're praying to God, Lord, please help me make it. And you may think, I don't know, really, Brother Blake? You, yes, yes. Life's expensive. If you got kids, life's expensive. You all know that. We can live in a scarcity mindset where we say, you know what, I've, I've got to keep this a little bit back or else I ain't going to be able to make it. Lord says, look, once you give me your tenth, isn't it so generous that God would give us 100% and say just, you know, one-tenth is all I require? Now, you can offer more. I always brag on Taryn. I'll never forget when Taryn was young. Um, we used to teach them how to tithe by we give them 10 dimes. We give them 10 dimes, and that was their, uh, you know, equal up to a dollar. We say, all right, one dime goes into savings, one dime goes to the church, and what are you going to do with the other, 80, the other eight dimes you're going to get? Taryn was always real good about to give a few extra to the church. You know, put a few extra in her savings account. Can't say that for Brogan. But uh, that was one thing. We was always real proud of her for that. And, and see, this is the thing. We, we've got to learn it. When we're giving something, you, you, you need to be faithful. Because, listen, if you ever get out of the routine of doing that, I'm going to tell you something. It's really hard. It's really hard to get back into it. Because then you're like, I don't know if I can make it. But if you get accustomed to it, young, young, teenagers, young. If you work a job... If you've got income, you're supposed to be giving back. If you are a member of a church, you are to give back to your church, whatever church that may be. If you're a member of, you're supposed to be giving back a tenth. And anything beyond that's an offering. Anything beyond that's an offering. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's see. God has given us, God has given to us a specific grace and specific gifts one of which is our resources, finances, and sustenance. And we should, in return, return with those tithes and offerings. So the second thing about that is God gives, God expects return. Thirdly, God gives, and we tithe for the service of the storehouse. God gives, we tithe for the service of the storehouse. Now, I say the storehouse because that's just in the Bible. That's not the name of our church. It's not the name of our local autonomous church. I know there's one in the community with that name, but... Uh, Pretty catchy, but at the same time, this is what we're looking at. The scripture says there in the first half of chapter 10, I mean, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Okay, and I'm going to stop right there. So God gives, and we tithe for the service of the storehouse. The service of the storehouse requires all the tithe. The remedy for Israel was simply to start doing what was right. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. All your money, talents, time, and love. Consecrate them all upon the altar. And your Savior from above speak sweetly. Trust me. Try me. Prove me, saith the Lord of hosts, and see that a blessing, unmeasured blessing, I will not pour out on thee. You know, that's where that hymn comes from, obviously. 
He says, bring all the time. The remedy for Israel, the remedy for you and I was simply to start doing what is right and bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And his phrase, the whole tenth, recalls language used in Leviticus 27.30. I've quoted that many a times already. And specifying the whole tithe suggests that there were many who were either withholding part of the tithe or were bringing nothing. So this reference also brings our attention to the guilt of the whole nation. The whole nation was doing this. This wasn't just like one person. It wasn't just the, this person or that person. Many people, just about the whole nation, was, say, was keeping back little bit by little bit. And the, and the work of the Lord was not able to function because the storehouse was working on a scarcity mindset budget, going, we don't know who we can help or who we can't or, or how we can minister to children or youth or adults or senior adults, and, and we can't do this and, and that. And, you know, we need wheels for the chariots when we go on our oasis trips and stuff like that. You know, uh, they, they couldn't figure those things out. So they, they, they were working in scarcity. They needed people to tithe. That was a joke anyway. Couldn't say tires because I know they didn't have uh, good years back then. So, But we, we've got to remember, we've got to tithe. We've got to give. And we should bring all the tithe into the house of the Lord. We should not skimp on the tithe, but adjust our living to giving of our first fruits back to the Lord. Too many times the tithe gets pushed around in the home budget until there is no tithe to give to the storehouse. God is not pleased when we prioritize everything above his house, his ministry, and his ministers. God's not pleased in that. God wants us to give. Secondly, within that same point of point number three, the service of the storehouse means stewarding to care for ministers and ministry. Look what it says there also. It says that there may be food in my house. What does that mean? The Levites would distribute the tithe for sacrificial purposes for their own domestic needs and whatever emergencies arose. If you remember, the Levites lived in the temple and their livelihood was based upon the tithing of the people of Judah. You know, and of course, back then they tithed all kinds of stuff. They tithed wheat and grain and they tithed um, chickens and, and they tithed, you know, all kinds of different things uh, so that they could be fed. Basically, the food of the Levites came from the people. Now, today, we've got pastors such as myself and ministers that, that are uh, dependent upon the tithes that come in. It's very much the same type mentality. And we're supposed to bring those in. And this tithe assures the ministry's function, the storehouse or facilities are maintained, and the priests, the leaders, staff, etc., are compensated for their service. So designated accounts do not do this, and that is above the tithe, not a replacement for it. Not a replacement for the tithe. A church struggles to gain ground against the work of Satan if they or we are functioning from this scarcity mindset that I've mentioned, meaning we are so concerned about the bottom line, we can't pursue in a healthy way the finish line. We can't do that. We can't pursue the, the next generation. We can't pursue the, the, the community. We can't pursue the schools because we're so lack in our budget because there's a lack of tithing. Now, granted, we've got some things that we give designated toward, right? We do noisy offering. What does that go to? That goes toward feeding everyone on Wednesday nights. Predominantly, it started as children, but a lot of our kids are eating supper before they even come, so basically, it's going for our adults. So, like, our adults are eating down there on Wednesday nights, all right? And then, uh, and then we do the bowls of love, and we, we do the bowls of love. That's a designated giving. That's above your tithe. So if you give to that, don't think this is my tithe. That's not your tithe. 
That's a very generous offering, and we are very grateful for that. But we do need, we do need that giving because it, what it does is it, it blesses our community, and we should be a blessing to our community for sure, but that's above our tithe. We work through the church, through the tithe, and then offerings are on top of that. So all the tithes should be brought into the storehouse. All the tithes should be brought into the storehouse. Point number four, God gives, we tithe, and God delivers. This is our last point this morning. God gives, we tithe, God delivers. Look there in the latter part of uh, verse 10 down to verse 12. The Lord says, now try me in this. Now you almost never, this is the only place in the Bible where the Lord says, try me or test me. It's the only place in the Bible. He says, now try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I'm going to come back to the rest of that when I get to it in just a moment. So let us be informed that the tithe meets the functionality of the storehouse while the offering blesses the storehouse for unforeseen emergencies or needs. That's the purpose of those. God delivers blessings from heaven to the tither and the church. To the tither and the church. He says, uh, try me now in this, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out on you such blessing. If I will not pour out such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. God desires to bless his people. This is the truth throughout all of Scripture. God wants to bless his people. And God challenges the people of Judah to try him in his faithfulness. God will return and God will deliver blessings to the individual and the church. I fully believe that many of the resources, not all but many, I believe prayer is a big part as well. But I believe that many of the reasons that have contributed to the stagnation of the kingdom of God and the reaching of the lost is a lack of discipleship in the area of stewardship, most specifically tithing. I really believe it. And churches cannot, or they struggle to, get the resources needed to assist in the efforts of evangelism and discipleship due to a poverty-stricken budget due to inadequate and at times sinful tithing. I can't speak directly to our church in this area. I've said that before in this sermon, but it could be. It could be us. I do not track what people give or don't give, so I want you to consider your heart first, okay? Because I know we are a New Testament church, and tithing is generally considered to be viewed through the lens of grace and generosity. But if you have been saved by grace, where is the grace and generosity shown to the Lord through your tithe? I just want to challenge you to look into that. We all should pursue God with all of who we are, and we do that by evaluating our hearts and our heart to give. Every single one of us should be evaluating our heart because our heart is what God desires more than our tithe. But when God has our heart, he'll have our tithe. When God has our heart, he'll have our tithe. God wants to deliver blessings. The thing is, is do you want to receive them? These blessings will be huge, especially when you consider the words chosen by Malachi through the Holy Spirit's leading. When he writes the floodgates, this is the same as when the rains fell for the flood. God wants to bless extraordinarily. God wants that for you and me, and he wants that for his church, and he wants that for his glory. Okay, God wants that for his glory. Do you and I want that for his glory, his kingdom, his church, and our lives return by giving the tithe and the offering to the storehouse, the church. That's how we return. God also delivers rebuke against pests and pestilence. Look there at verse 11. 
In verse 11, he says, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So when we read that text, when we read that text, it says, although, although devour is a general term for something that eats, it is often found in idioms of destruction. It sometimes refers to fire, Hosea 8.14. It sometimes to human armies in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 16. Joel uses both images to describe the locusts coming in judgment against Israel. We see that in Joel 1.4. In verses 19 through 20 in Joel chapter 2, verse 3, 5, and 25. So regardless of whether the devourer is insects or fire or an army, God appears to be saying, no matter what happens to you, when you are financially faithful to me, I will provide for you, I will protect you. God is a protector and a provider. And when we trust him with our finances, he will be faithful as he always is. The question again is, Will you and I be faithful to him? Will you and I be faithful to him? And finally there, verse 12, God delivers good reputation before others. Look there at verse 12. It says, And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So we must recall the entire book of Malachi. As we finish up this passage of Scripture, we must recall the entire book of Malachi is God is calling them on the carpet, calling them on, if you will, on their hesitancies and sinfulness and questioning God over and over. In the first book of the book, excuse me, in the first of the book of Malachi, Edom is considered a wicked land from chapter four, verse, chapter one, verse four. But God is ready to change that completely. And he says that here. He's ready to change that, that the land would be a blessing and delight when people would steward and tithe as they should. Here the Lord's blessing of his chosen and the promised land would cause it to become a source of delight to its inhabitants, but also to the God who had created, bestowed, and beautified it. You see, God wants that for you. God wants that for you. God wants to make you a delight and make us, this church, a delight to one another, to our community, to our city, state, nation, and the world. God wants to do that. How does he do that? We return to him. How do we return to him? We return to him with all of who we are. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And part of that, yes, is our resources that we steward, our tithe, our offering, all of that. You see, God wants that for you and me, and he wants that for this church. God wants to deliver a good reputation for us in our workplaces, in our families, and in our community. So we must be faithful stewards of the resources God has given us. As disciples of Christ, some of you are young in your faith. We've got a lot of people that are young in their faith in this room. As we were talking about this morning, uh, down at the table in Anthony Hall, you know, in two and a half years, we've had about 12 people baptized into this church. We've got a lot of people that are young in their faith. Praise God for that. Praise the Lord for that. But in that, you, you've got to come to this understanding of stewardship. We've all got to come to this understanding of stewardship. And so we're grateful for what God's given us. We steward his salvation well. And in so doing, the blessing of God will return or stay on our lives, our families' lives, our church's lives, and from that of our community. And may our stewardship be a blessing and delight, revealing our change by grace. 
May the revelation of our stewardship reveal the fact of what God has done in our lives by grace. I pray today that you have a changed life by Jesus Christ.